Welcome to this conversation. I'm your host, Teresa Keller, and my guest today is Kathy Shearer. Now, I will just tell you, I've known Kathy Shearer for a long time as a member of the Emory community, where she and her husband are very active. I had always considered her to be a friend, but I didn't know how little I knew about Kathy until we were on a recent trip to Cuba together. And even though I realized that I didn't know a lot about her, it turns out that there was a lot she didn't know about herself for a long time. This is quite a story. Welcome to this conversation, Kathy Shearer. Thank you, Teresa. I appreciate your invitation. Well, we're going to save the big reveal for just a minute. But first of all, I just want to ask you about your growing up in New Jersey. That's right. And you grew up in a Baptist family. You, you went to church every Sunday with your mother or to the Baptist church. So let's just start with an overview of your religious life while you were growing up. Sure. Um, the, the family in this instance would be quite small. It was just me and my mother. My dad was not a religious person, did not attend any church for all the years I knew him. But my mother walked me to the American Baptist Church across town from where we were living in Summit, New Jersey. Every Sunday, we went to Sunday school. I went to the, the kids' Sunday school classes. She went to the adults, and then there was the church service. She was active with the church in a variety of activities and took me to all the kid events. So that was our, our faith. That was it. And when I was 12, I was confirmed member of the church. And I never questioned it, never thought about it. We did occasionally take with the church, with Sunday school, we would take trips perhaps to other churches and kind of attend a service. I had girlfriends who were Catholic. The local Catholic school, St. Teresa's, had um, education only through the eighth grade. And then all the students had to come across over to the public school. So that's how I got to know a series of Catholic girls. And, and that was great fun. And the church was well attended. The, the minister, uh, Dr. Barnwell, had been an actor. I don't know if he ever was, ever was on Broadway or not, but I suspected later on that Mother chose this church because he had such a wonderful delivery. The sermons were great. All right, we're going to skip a lot of details, and we're going to skip college and marriage and all mm -hmm. that, and we're going to jump to you are 26 years old, 26 right. years old. And what was it that you discovered? Well, I had been very close to my mother's mother, my grandma, Betty. She was, I have to say, the favorite of the two. She spoiled me, which you always want. And one of, for instance, when she would come visit, and she didn't live close by, so I only saw her maybe three or four times a year, but she would always come and, and just heap love on me. Um, and when I was 12, we were sharing a bedroom. We lived in a small apartment. So we shared a bedroom and had two little twin beds and we would whisper to each other at night. And one night she said the magic words. She said, you are so beautiful. When you grow up, I'm going to take you to Hollywood and you're going to be a star. And I mean, what more would a 12 year old want to hear? Maybe even an 18 year old. You know, I just knew that, boy, she had my future laid out for me. When I went off to college, she crocheted and gave me a beautiful granny square afghan, which I still have in my living room. And she crocheted various other small items for me. And she was just always so loving and, and generous. When she was 
78, we got the word, I got the word from my mother that she was quite ill. I'd known for a while she had cancer, but she was up in New Jersey. We were down here in Virginia, so didn't see her. And mother said, it's time to go see her. So we drove up to New Jersey and visited with her. She was living at that time with a niece who would have been my mother's first cousin. Her name was Estelle. I had never heard of her before, never met her before, but she was very gracious, welcomed us into her home. And grandmother was weak, quite weak at this point and kind of mumbling. She was sitting on a sofa in the living room and we just sat there quietly. I was listening to her. And all of a sudden she said, God loves you, whether you go to the church or to the synagogue. And I thought, I'd never seen her go to either one. She had, when we went to Sunday service, she wasn't there. She had already left. So I said, Grandma, where did you go? She said, to the synagogue, of course. And I was stunned. It wasn't like she'd said I was a Presbyterian. It was different because it wasn't just a church. It wasn't just a religion. It was also culture. And I was aware of that. I was 26. And I knew that this was a significant part of our family that I had never heard of before. So I asked her more questions. She tired out pretty easily. But in that visit, she told me something of her early years, one of which was she had worked at the Triangle Shirtwaist Factory the one that burned in New York City in 1911 and 146 workers died because the factory owners had locked them in. Many of them were young Jewish girls and she had worked there. She fortunately, or I probably wouldn't be here, she had um, stayed home that day to take care of her ailing stepmother. But that was all she wanted to tell me. She couldn't talk anymore about it. And, and just like people who've been through World War I or World War II, they don't talk much about it. So that for her was an, that kind of experience. But I thought there's so much more here that I have never heard. I want to learn about it. So when we got home, I called my mother first thing. Of course, back in 1978, um, 73 rather, we didn't have cell phones, <laughs> didn't have internet. Couldn't do any of that. Um, but I called my mother and I said, what in the world? You never told me grandma is Jewish. What, what, what's going on here? And she paused for a minute or so. And then she said, I just didn't want you to be as unhappy as I was. Well, now, okay. You are 26 and suddenly you realize your grandmother is Jewish, which means your mother is Jewish, which means you are Jewish, but you are a Baptist living with a father who's not religious and a mother who Kathy is lying to you. Mm -hmm. Isn't, did you, did you, I mean, when you describe the conversation with your mother, I don't hear rage. How did you feel toward your mother? I was quite angry. I, I, I saw it as a lie. Yes, that this had been hidden from me. And I wanted to know why and what was she so unhappy about that she couldn't tell me anything about it. And did, did I have relatives? I mean, here was Estelle, whom I'd never met, had ever heard of before. She probably lived about an hour away from where I grew up. Who else was out there that I didn't know about? You know, I never knew if grandma had brothers, sisters, nothing. 
Never but they had deliberately kept this information from you, but they yeah. had obviously had some kind of an agreement because you said you were around your grandmother. You never saw yes. her in a religious practice, but you right. were around her. Right. And she, when she told me that, and she died shortly after that, I, I, I described that as she let the cat out of the bag. It was something that she had promised my mother never to tell me. And this happened over a period of years. I was born in 1947, and this had happened before that. My mother, as it turns out, grew up in this household where she had her parents and living close by. There was the grandfather, the grandmother, and then after she died, the, the step-grandmother. And then she had uncles and aunts. There were eight siblings altogether. And to go back to the beginning, and, and th this are, these are things that I have ferreted out over the years, um, some of which my mother told me, some of which my great aunt Jean and my great aunt Will told me when I finally discovered I had two aunts still living, two great aunts still living. But as it turns out, my great grandfather, Isaac Kimmelman, came to this country about 1900, an immigrant from Galicia in Eastern Europe. And it was and then referred to as the Austro-Hungarian Empire. My grandmother told me I'm from Austria. And of course, at that point, I thought, oh, Austria, Alps, <laughs> beautiful Austria. It wasn't that at all, Eastern Europe. He immigrated as a Jewish man at the time when Jews were being treated very brutally. So he fled that country and as thousands of Jews did, came to New York City, became a fruit peddler with a pushcart on the Lower East Side. And he worked enough to bring his family over about three or four years later. And that's when my grandmother would have arrived. Um, and they lived in a tenement for many, many years. And it was rough, I'm sure. But at this point, you're, you brought up your grandfather. How does that play into the story with your mother and with you? Your great-grandfather, Isaac. Great-grandfather, Isaac, okay. That he was, I think, after he was no longer able to handle the fruit cart business, he became like the, the adult at the home where there were small children. It was my mother and her younger brother, Murray. And he was in charge of them, I guess, before school st they started school. And mother said he was brutal. He had what she described to me as a, a cat of nine tails. And I'd never heard of this before. This was something that was, was a stick wrapped in leather with nine thongs hanging off of it. And each thong had a, a ball of some sort at the end or a knot or whatever. She said, you just bought these at the store probably a hardware store, and you use this to punish your children. And she was and punished by your great-grandfather. She like was that. punished by her great, by her grandfather, yes, my great-grandfather, right, Isaac. And she has this memory, had this memory of, as a very small child, she must have just been a toddler, trying to crawl under the coal stove in their apartment, which must have been sitting up on legs, just to escape from him. That, and of course, that was back in the day, certainly, where um, physical punishment was acceptable. I'm interviewing Kathy Shearer today. Uh, she had a stunning revelation from her grandmother at the age of 26. 
that her grandmother was Jewish. She didn't know it. She started piecing her story together. She's realizing now how her mother was mistreated. I want to bring us back to the narrative of issue and how you handled that. Are you thinking that because your mother was treated so brutally that that's a reason of the split between her and her mother? Well, when she talks about, you know, I didn't want you to be as unhappy as I was, um, certainly that left a very strong lasting impression on her. I think, it, and then we didn't talk about, you know, was he orthodox? Was he this? Was he that? In terms of the Jewish religion and tradition and customs and all that, that I don't know. But I do know that there, there were that there was that item of um, how he treated the children so brutally, and then also going through the depression. She was born in 1917, so she was she would have been 12 when the depression hit in 29. Her parents had done pretty well, actually. They uh, ran two movie theaters and an Army Navy store. And I think they were pre considered pretty well off. And then they lost all of that during the Depression. She has this memory of the creditor coming to take back the stove and the refrigerator. It's pretty serious. Now, she I, I don't think she blames that on being Jewish, but maybe... It had to do with um, the community that they lived in and how everything was collapsing all around them. And there was very little, where could you go to get help at that point? That, that was just part of her childhood. So we've got to get, we haven't even given the reason about why your grandmother and your mother split. Right. Well, the reason is coming up. Okay. So my mother had ambition, even as a young like teenager, she was determined she was going to have a better life. She had seen a better life when her parents had those businesses. And she determined she was going to do better. She finished high school. She got accepted at a business college in Providence, Rhode Island. And it's, it's still going on today, I think, as a business school, Bryant. And she went there. She worked her way through. She met people who had um, come from different backgrounds, I'm sure, and she saw other ways of living. And she just was determined she was going to make a new life for herself. She became a secretary, went to work in Newark, New Jersey, went to work for the Great Atlantic and Pacific Tea Company, which we all knew at one time as the A&P. There actually used to be an A&P in Abingdon when we moved here. And that's where she met my dad. He was in management. And she became his secretary. He was not Jewish. He was not much of anything religious-wise. I don't know. He probably attended a church as a child, but he never spoke of it. And she decided she was going to marry him. And this is where the real split came forth. I'm sure there had been many arguments over various subjects before this, but this was sealed the deal. She was marrying, according to what my great aunt Lil told me, she was marrying a stranger. And in their culture, their religion, this was like the end of the deal. My Jewish family said the prayer of the dead over her. They said she, Estelle, as her name, her given name was Estelle, just like her cousin. Estelle is no longer living. And we're very sad. And I think the feeling was mutual. She'd had it with her family. And she and my dad went off, got married, and 
um, for years, they never, as far as I know, never spoke to each other, never had any contact whatsoever. She was still in contact with her younger brother, Murray. I think she stayed close with him for many years. So basically, it sounds like in a nutshell that your grandmother rejected your mother. They prayed over her as if she were dead and they didn't have any contact that you know of. But then you were born. There was a deal. Right. right. That that changed things significantly. Somehow my grandmother found out. And I suspect it was my Uncle Murray who let her know that mom was pregnant and a baby was due. And I would be the first grandchild born in her family. That made a difference. And somehow or other, whether she got in touch with my mom or it all came through Murray or what, they began speaking to each other. And my mother said, you can come and meet this grandchild when she's born and you can have a relationship as long as you never tell her about our Jewish background. And grandmother agreed. Kathy, wow. And I want to get back to some of your personal history, but first I've just got to ask you this question. You know, there's a concept about mothers and their sacred kind of love that they have for children. More and more I see examples of mothers rejecting their children. You're now a mother and a grandmother. These are secrets. What is your perception of this now? Could you have such a secret from your child? Well, I, I can't imagine this. I mean, I can't imagine being involved in a religion or a any kind of thought process that would say, if your child goes off this way, then you will no longer be in touch. They're cutting them off. Absolutely. I know that this is a struggle that um, some people I know have gone through with a son who became involved with drugs. And went, they went through counseling and the counselor said, you've got to stop assisting him. You've got to stop paying his bills. You've got to cut him off. And so this happens, you know, that you're hoping that if he has no resources, that he will somehow come to his senses. I don't know if it ever works but I know this has been advised. Um, so I, I can't imagine it. You know, unfortunately, we've not gone through that struggle with the drugs, but um, you know, we, we lucked out with a really good kid. <laughs> so well, we haven't, sure. had, to, haven't you, had to face that. But I know that kid um, and it's clear that you and Reese did a great job and we're going to talk about Reese next. But first of all, why are you telling this story? Why are you willing to talk to me and answer these questions today? Well, you were very persistent. <laughs> <laughs> that has been said. <laughs> um, no, I appreciate your interest. I have told this story to several people just when something comes up, like, you know, so mom didn't ever want to talk to me again after this happened. And, and so this comes out. And over time, I've found three other women who have gone through the same discovery process. They found out that in one case, both parents are Jewish. In fact, they all have said, if you ever write a book about this, <laughs> get in touch. And I think that um, perhaps marriage in, in the old days, and my parents got married in 1943, this would have been not just an issue for my folks. I'm sure, you know, um, the Catholic Church had restrictions as well for many years and maybe still does. 
um, in some churches that you cannot marry anyone who is not Catholic or that person has to convert. And I know, so this is, this is not just a Jewish custom. Or what is your religion now? I'm more like my dad. I, I do not attend a church. Recent, I, he was raised in the Southern Baptist Church. So we're both Baptists in our history, but we, um, you know, we certainly believe in the goals that Jesus set and, the, and what he advised people to do. You know, we try to love everyone we can and be peaceful and work for peace and work for love and work for community togetherness. Um, but we are not, not church attenders. As Reese sometimes says, yeah, we do home church right here. You know, it's interesting to me. I had never thought about Reese's religion, your religion. Mm -hmm. And uh, Shearer, your last name, is a Jewish sounding name. Well, if it had a C in it, like S-C-H-E, but it's S-H-E-A-R-E-R, -E -R, and it's actually Scottish. In this case, his ancestors were sheep shearers. Ah. <laughs> way, way, way back. And he's very fortunate. He has in his family lots of interest in genealogy and in sharing genealogy and he has tons of material and we've been actually to the old farm in scotland um where his like great 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 grandfather lived so yeah the sheer name comes from sheep farming you know there's another irony here <laughs> that i'm sure is not lost upon you jews have suffered from anti-semitic sentiments from like a murder of seven million of them in World War II and and the and the issues continue. I mean, there's just in the news this week a story of a man who got life in prison for killing 18 people in a synagogue several years ago. Jews have been persecuted. And yet your mother was Jewish, but she was rejected and she was persecuted for not being Jewish by her family well for leaving the faith yes um and i think that was also part of her decision growing up as you can imagine growing up and seeing what was happening in world war ii and she was born 1917 so it was right you know during world war one and her parents certainly were trembling a lot over what was going on overseas when she was a baby and as she developed I'm sure there were stories, but then to live through World War II and all of the Nazism going on. And there were, even though they were living, I think, in a very safe community on the Lower East Side. And then in Brooklyn, she, she grew up in Brooklyn, but still there's, there's fears. Um, and, and that doesn't stop. I mean, we think, you know, well, that was back then. <clears throat> think about Charlottesville, you know, um, there were young men carrying Nazi flags. That was just a few years ago. There are yes. still people in this country who believe that the Nazis were right. That part of her decision was probably to protect herself and to protect her daughter. But, you know, all of that put together, she saw her way out. Another thing was she wanted to be up there in the middle class. And she especially wanted to play golf. That was a big thing for her. And you know where we lived and elsewhere, there were country clubs that would not accept Jews. 
that's just the way it was. And, and she was she, a member of that club. She became a member of those clubs. Yeah, of that club. She she joined several. They lived in different places after my dad retired. And, you know, summer here and winter there. But yeah, you know, she she continued to see it um, pretty much throughout her life. And she wanted to live without those restraints. How did you leave things with your mother? Did you did you air this out? Did you come to terms with it? Have you come to terms with it now? I I kind of went through it with a lot of anger to start with that she had hidden this from me. And but I worked through it. She did at least tell me, you know, that she had these uncles and aunts or then my great uncles, my great aunts. You know, we, we just finally dropped the issue. We didn't talk about it anymore. It was just something that I had to accept if I was going to continue that relationship with her. But I did let her know that I was in touch with her Aunt Jean and her Aunt Lillian, and I was going to go visit them. And she seemed to be okay with that. It wasn't like, great, I'm so glad to hear that. It was just like, okay, you know, okay. So we made a trip up to New Jersey to visit my great aunt Jean and down to Florida, visit great aunt Lillian to, to get more information, to meet them. And they were very generous. They welcomed me in. Oh my goodness. Kathy Shearer, my guest today, surprised at the age of 26 to discover that she was Jewish. What is the moral of this story? Well, I don't know if there's a moral exactly. I can say the lesson that I learned from this experience is that you can't undo what your relative has done. There's no way you can go back, but you can try to make it work out better. And I think she did appreciate the information I brought her from the relatives I got in touch with. And once uh, the internet opened up a whole new world through Ancestry.com, et cetera. I was able to get in touch with some other cousins. She never wanted to get in touch with them herself. She couldn't like jump that bridge, uh, even though I think my Aunt Jean would have appreciated that. But I felt that the moral of it or the lesson here is keep trying, try to make contact with those relatives. You can find out who they are. They may not all want to make contact with you. And I did find that out. I wrote letters to everyone I could get an address for. And I'm still in touch with some today by email. Um, and I'm in touch with my two cousins, first cousins, my Uncle Murray's two sons. We have visited with each other, and the next time we visit, we're going to think, sit down and have a real conversation about just this issue that we're discussing, because they were a good bit younger than I am, so we haven't really, they, they weren't too familiar with it. I don't think Uncle Murray didn't really go into it with them. You know, once I was, once mother was gone, she was gone, so, but it, it's the moral for me is keep on trying, it's worth it, and perhaps Eventually, my mother found some peace um, in knowing that these other relatives had an interest in her. You know, that's possible. But the main thing was I had the interest and that for the two great aunts, that really made a difference to them. So it was worth it. 
What an amazing story, Kathy Shearer, my neighbor, my friend, and now someone who has shared all these intimate details of family, of religion, of culture, of forgiveness, connections, all kinds of lessons. Thank you once again, Kathy. You are very welcome. And I hope if, if anybody out there listening has a similar story that they'll get in touch with you. Absolutely. There's a book, there's a book in there coming. I can just feel it. <laughs> right. Um, there's probably some already written. Yeah. Yes. And if anybody's listening and would like to contact, get in touch with me with a message, it's real simple. W-E-H-C at E-H-C dot E-D-U. And if you missed part of this, want to hear it again, want to share it, you can find it on the podcast site by searching for W-E-H-C this conversation. Otherwise, this show plays on Wednesday at six and repeats on Sunday at two, as do all episodes of this conversation on 90.7. Thanks again, and please stay tuned.